I love that there are thousands of ways to pray. You can do it informally, formally, uh, with words, without words, with music. Thanks for leading us, Jack. Um, I'm going to invite our deacons forward in just a minute for our offering this morning. This is a little bit out of character for us. Usually the offering is received in our worship services after we hear God's Word together as a way of saying thank you, thank you, thank you to God. Um, The reason we're doing it earlier this week is so we can have a little more focused time uh, for a different kind of prayer at the end of the message this week. So um, if you are a guest or visitor today, this, is, this moment is not meant to obligate you. This offering is for people who call Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church their spiritual home, that this is the place where they come to experience living water. Um, and while the offering's being taken, uh, I'm going to sing a song about uh, the old, old story of the gospel. Hopefully it will help us get ready to hear God's word today. Would love it if you join me on the choruses, which will come up on the screen with some music. So deacons, please come forward. People of God, please be generous. things above of Jesus and his glory of Jesus and his love I love to tell the story because I know that it's true And it satisfies my longings Like nothing else can do I love to tell the story Will be my theme and glory To tell the old, old Story of Jesus and his love. Well, I love to tell the story, it's pleasant to. Repeat Well it seems That each time That I tell it It's more Wonderfully Sweet And I love To tell The story For some of y'all Have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. 
to tell the story. It'll be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. The story for those who know it best seems hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest, and when in scenes of glory. I sing a new, new song It'll be that old, old story That I have loved so long Well, I love to tell the story It will be my theme in glory to tell the old old story of Jesus and his love to tell the old old story of Jesus and his love. Nice mm. All right, friends. Isn't it good to, good to have some church on a Sunday morning? All right. During the summertime months here at Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church, uh, we are remembering that part of the old, old story that Jesus uh, lived, taught, uh, performed miraculous deeds and awesome things along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Much of his life and times happened geographically right there at this beautiful oasis of fresh water in the Middle East, a dry and weary place where mm, a big lake of fresh water is truly a beautiful thing. Seen from above, from outer space, the Sea of Galilee looks like a beautiful sapphire. And indeed, for the people of Israel, that is just what it is. It is precious. It is life-giving. And this was where Jesus chose uh, to operate as his home base. Now, this morning, we are going to be hanging out in John chapter 6, if you have a Bible along with you today, feel free to turn over to John chapter 6. Words will also appear on the screen. I like to call this passage the Bible's 5K. You know what a 5K is? It's like where you run 5,000 meters, 5 kilometers. There's one happening in Clarendon Hills this morning. That is not the kind of 5K I'm talking about. If you run a 5K, it causes some weariness and exertion. The biblical 5K is the race to feed 5,000 people. 
which is even more difficult than running 5,000 meters. Here's how the story starts. Jesus crossed to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias as it was known to the Romans, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he performed by healing the sick. And then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. Here is a map once again of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus' home base was the town of Capernaum on the north side of the lake. And those lines that you see is about a five-mile trip. This is, by scholars, thought to be the route he took to the far side of the lake where all those thousands and thousands of people would have gone on foot to follow him. Here's a picture of the mountainside on the east shores of the Sea of Galilee. If you can imagine 5,000 people plopping down and sitting for lunch, maybe this is the place. Maybe it's not the place, but if it's not, it's awful close to here. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to his disciple Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? Now Jesus asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And then Philip answered him, if you would be the voice of the disciple this morning, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Now, I imagine that he said this with great consternation and frustration in his voice. I mean, honestly, how would you feel if there was, you're at a concert, there's 5,000 people there, and somebody taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, you're in charge of refreshments for everybody. And there's no concessions, there's no Jimmy John's nearby. I, I mean, there's nothing. There is a hillside. Philip, when he heard this question, again, probably expressed his reply with great consternation because he could not see or imagine that there would be any kind of resources around to meet this huge need, food for 5,000 people. By the way, we just do the guesstimate. If you can have a nice affordable lunch for maybe $6 at this point, if you would multiply 6 times 5,000, you would end up with $30,000. Like, that's a big price tag for lunch, right? The average American household income right now is $60,000, significantly higher than that in DuPage County. That's another matter. But if you take 50% of that, you also get $30,000. What did Philip say? It would take half a year's average wages to feed all these people. The math still works. All right. Another one of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Again, if you would. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? How big were the barley loaves? They were small. How big were the fish? They were small. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. They sat down. About 5,000 folks were there. Jesus then took the loaves. He gave thanks. And then he distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. What? And then he did the same with the fish. In this beautiful setting, seaside at Galilee, Jesus did an incredible and a beautiful thing. A couple details. 
The Bible says these were barley loaves. Barley was the grain. Barley bread was the food, not of the rich, but of the lower class. So if you can imagine a pita round, this is probably what they had, a little round piece of barley bread. Two small fish. There are three main kinds of fish in the Sea of Galilee. There's only one that's really small, a kind of sardine. And in fact, one of the towns on the Sea of Galilee, Magdala, you've heard of Mary Magdalene perhaps, her hometown, one of the things Magdala did was pickle and salt these enormous numbers of sardines that were hauled every day out of the Sea of Galilee. So we're talking about some modest resources here. Five little round barley breads for the poor and probably two little pickled sardines. Anybody want to have lunch with Jesus yet? (laughs) Jesus takes these very modest and meager resources and does something amazing. By the way, in our world today, there are still 795 million people, roughly one in nine, who today will not have enough food to eat to pursue a healthy or even active life. Do you think God the Father cares about that? Do you think Jesus, who fed 5,000 hungry people, cares about that? This is why when it comes time for our congregation to sponsor children with compassion or world vision, when it comes time for us to bring food for folks even in Cook and DuPage County for local food pantries, that's why we do this. Because still, the body of Christ, we as his hands and feet, uh, it concerns us, just the basic feeding of those who don't even today have enough food. If you as a Christian person ever have opportunity to buy a coffee, to buy a drink, to buy a sandwich, to buy a meal for somebody, that is a beautiful thing to do. Maybe they're not starving. Maybe they're just lacking a couple bucks. If you can do that in Jesus' name, that is a beautiful Christian thing to do. The story continues this way. Now, when all 5,000 of these people all had enough to eat, Jesus said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of those five small barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. Anybody remember how many disciples Jesus had? Twelve? An even dozen. How many baskets were collected at the end of this? Twelve. Who was doing the collecting? Jesus' disciples. Who thought there was no way that they could feed 5,000 people? These 12 guys. What do you think Jesus intended for those 12 guys now carrying full baskets of bread and fish to conclude at the end of the scene? You know, it's no accident that he sent all of them out and that all 12 brought back their own basket. Jesus the rabbi, Jesus the master, wanted this to make a deep, deep personal impression on them. They each got their own basket. If I'm Philip, 
if I gave him that frustrated response like, who's got 30 grand to feed all these people? I would be carrying that basket back thinking something like, I don't understand it. But Jesus, he might be able to meet every need that we would put in front of him. Would that be a fair conclusion for one of those 12 disciples? One minute you're thinking, no way. There's no way this can happen. A half hour later, you're carrying your own personal basket overflowing with barley loaves. What else could you conclude? Jesus can meet whatever challenge we throw in front of him. Jesus can address whatever need that comes into his presence. Now, here's where it gets real for all of us disciples 2,000 years later. I am going to ask you now, within your own mind, within your own heart, within your own spirit, to name a need. There's no right or wrong answer. If something emerges from your gut, that would be the thing to go with. We all have probably more needs than we could write on a piece of paper on any given time, right? If it's a need um, that's a short-term one, fantastic. If it's a need that you see over the next two years or a really long-term need, awesome. If it's a need that concerns someone else that you care about or is dear to you, awesome. If it's an emotional thing, if it's a physical thing, if it's a spiritual thing, just a need. I'm going to leave you 15 seconds of quiet. Uh, Just name something within yourself, and I'm going to ask you to hold on to that for the next 10 minutes, okay? None of our needs surprise God, by the way. He is totally aware of all of this already. Here's how this part of the story ends, the Bible's 5K. After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet, thank you, who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself, So the crowd, having witnessed this incredible miracle, because they're Jewish folks, they think this, this Jesus of Nazareth has just created one of the incredible miracles that Moses performed by God's power in the Old Testament. If you know your Bible stories, it happened that for 40 years, the people of Israel were fed by manna in the desert through Moses, bread from heaven, literally Wonder bread. And Moses himself, all those years before, foretold that someday a prophet greater than himself would come to lead God's people. And when those 5,000 folks witnessed this incredible miracle of new manna for 5,000 people, the first thing they say is, this must be the prophet with a capital P, the rescuer, the Messiah who's going to come and bring us to a better place. 
But here's what they got wrong. Jesus provided them with bread. Jesus met their acute physical need. And their next thought was, maybe he can meet all our political needs too. Right? Maybe he can make us our nation, our race. Maybe he can bump us to the top of the heap in terms of humanity. Jesus will have none of that. That is not a need. It's a selfish preference to come out on top, to dominate, in their case, what it would have been the Romans. Jesus will not countenance this, and he goes up a mountain to get away from this nonsense. He won't cater to their expectations. He won't give them political clout. It's important to see which needs Jesus meets, but there is, if we bring a level of selfishness to this, there are things that Jesus, in his mercy, will say no to. In this 5K story, Jesus now takes a break. If you've ever run a 5K at some point, you need a water break, this is exactly what happens. A short aside into the weather around the Sea of Galilee. This will matter, I promise. Valleys around the Sea of Galilee daily pull in cool ocean air from the Mediterranean Sea, which is just a few dozen miles to the west. This happens every afternoon when cool air from the ocean collides with the hot desert air of the lake's basin, and the collision of these different temperatures of air in the atmosphere creates strong afternoon winds and the occasional evening storm that then swirls over the Sea of Galilee. These storms can be especially intense as the winds hit the eastern cliffs of the lake, exactly the place where Jesus and his disciples and these 5,000 people were. The same phenomenon happens here in Chicago regularly, especially in the spring when it's 80 degrees here in Elmhurst and it's like 57 and windy at downtown on the lakeshore, right? The cool air is getting vacuumed in off of the lake. Lived in California for a while. We lived in Sacramento. It's about 80 miles inland. It could be 115 in the summer. If you drove 70 miles west to San Francisco, it could be 45 and uh, gray and foggy and raining. You understand what I'm saying? So if you, keep, if you keep that in mind, here's what happened at the end of the story. When evening came, the time where the cold and hot air collides, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum, their home base. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet rejoined them. Remember, he went up on a mountain to pray. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough when they had rowed about three or four miles. Not all the way back to Capernaum yet. They saw Jesus approaching the boat. He was walking on the water and they were frightened. Quite fair, I would say. They were frightened. And he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Perhaps Jesus is just saying, on the one hand, hey, it's me. On the other hand, the two words that the Bible uses here for Jesus to say, here I am, it's me, these are the words that Jesus repeats when he says, it's me, the good shepherd. It's me, the light of the world. 
It's me, the bread that comes from heaven. When God speaks out of the burning bush, these are the two words. Moses says, who are you? What is your name? And God says, I am, or it's me. When Israel wants to know who's the God who's going to set them free from slavery, God says, I am. It's me. When people wonder, who is it that came from heaven and earth to be the Messiah? Jesus says about himself, I am. It's me. And when he identifies himself to his terrified disciples, when he's walking on the water, he says, I am. It's me. And in this moment, they recognize in their master, in their rabbi, that he is God. That he is the Lord of heaven and earth. When he says, it's me, they recognize not only that it's their friend and rabbi Jesus, that He is the one who can make food and feed 5,000. He is the one who can calm the storm. He is the one who can walk on water. He's the Lord of wind and waves. And the end of the story says this. Having identified him and recognizing him, they were willing to take him into the boat. And then immediately, their boat reached the shore where they were heading. They see him. They perceive him. They take him in, and it seems they were barely able to get Jesus' foot on the deck of the boat, and they're back in Capernaum. Is this another miracle or not? I don't know how close they were to shore. They reached their destination, which is to say, when you are in Jesus' presence, things happen. Things change. Things can be turned over and made different. One minute they're fearing the storm, the next minute Jesus' foot hits the deck of their boat and it is okay. Friends, we're going to conclude this worship service and this message with a time of prayer together. I'd invite you to bring back to mind now the need that you previously identified. We're going to hold it in God's presence. And we're going to hold it in faith that whatever your particular need is, God can address it in some way. I'm not promising you an easy fix. I'm not promising that the boat of your life is going to, in two seconds, reach its destination. But I am promising you on good faith that if you can... Uh, name in a significant way what your true need is, and if you hold that in Jesus' presence and you offer it to him with open hands and open heart, something is going to move by God's grace. God will respond in your life in some way, shape, or form. Because we worship a God who is a good father. We worship a God who has good intentions toward his children. By the way, on this Father's Day, that's about as good a definition I can come up with as a dad. We're not perfect guys, but good dads have good intentions toward their kids.
There's going to be a little music as we do this. All right, guys. So I'm humbly asking you again, um, if it would help you to open up to God, to open your hands, that would be lovely. We want to say, God, that in your presence, like your 12 disciples 2,000 years ago, uh, we are willing to take you in. We're willing to come to you in prayer and openness. And just as your disciples so long ago recognized and perceived you as the Lord of creation, the Lord of wind and wave, we recognize that you are that for us too. You are almighty. You are good. We look to you as our master, God. And we hold our needs before you this morning.